Welcome to this NoFibs podcast. In today's episode, Margot Kingston chats with Nicolette Bollet, who ran as an independent in the seat of Bradfield, and her campaign manager, Rob Mills. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, hello, Nicolette Bollet, um, the alternative MP for Bradfield, and Rob Mills, the... Um, Starting as an amateur, but now ready to go as a as a, an unpaid pro <laughs> campaign manager. Um, delighted to speak with you both. Um, I want to start with the result. Um, now, Bradfield was always way out there on the edge. You know, you had the your your big four: North North Shore, Eastern Suburbs, Lot Wentworth, Bradfield, North Sydney. McKellar was the miracle win. Then, of course, Bradfield just went, stuff it, we'll, we'll vote Labor. And Bradfield was always just ultra-safe, a bit more conservative. You weren't in the in-crowd. And yet you got a swing, a primary swing of 15% and a two-party swing of 12%. You did it without terribly much money, without terribly much input from Climate 200 how did you do this? How did you make this extraordinary thing happen? I think that answers for our campaign manager, Rob Mills. <laughs> I think that's unduly modest, Nick. Um, it's not rocket science, I don't think, Margot. It's, um, it's actually listening to people uh, and uh, consolidating what they say to you and taking it seriously. Um, it's not, uh, you know, high-powered Facebook analytics or anything like that. It's just listening to people and and treating them with respect. I remember you saying to me early on that you'd had a lot of discussions with people um, of Chinese descent and no matter where they were on the spectrum, that they, they just weren't happy with the, the aggression and, and the... You know the punch in the face style of Morrison. Did did that listening sort of pan out on on the day? Nick, do you want to go for that? Yeah, I think it. I think it did to um, a large extent. I suppose we'll never really know because we don't cut the, the the data like that. But just from listening and the conversations, uh, and abutting the electorate also with North Sydney, where Kylie Tink was successful against Trent Zimmerman, I'd say um, yes. Um, it didn't take a lot, though, because that's, what's a, that's a community in our electorate, 18% identify as being um, Chinese-Australian oh. from somewhere. And somewhere meaning, of course, um, the mainland or the Straits or from um, Hong Kong or what have you. So, um, yeah, I think for a number of reasons they would... Uh, Unfortunately for the outgoing um, government, the word Peter Dutton was really toxic ah. and it was quite easy to cut through. They were a bit tired of being thrown, thrown under the bus in terms of this um, culture war, use of the term China, you know, China this, China that, as a symbol to um, create fear and mistrust. And the reason that they're living in Australia, of course, is because... They want to be as Chinese Australians. So to them, they thought that that was just disingenuous. It was 
right down to sometimes racist and hurtful. And um, they just didn't like the tone and the use of, of you know, the culture and ethnicity as part of the strategy that the outgoing government did in terms of creating culture wars. So it wasn't hard to um, get an ear for the Chinese Australians, I think. But again, I'm not sure we will ever know on that. They're, and it's not ubiquitous. It's not sort of a homogenous thing that every mm. Chinese Australian person, our electorate, thinks and feels that way. Because, of course, depending on if you come from where you're most likely to vote in the first place, there's still a lot of really staunch um, sort of Labor voters as well that uh, identify as Chinese Australians, um, not possibly Liberal ones, even though the most recent visitors from the PRC are more likely, we understand, to be supporters of the Liberal Party. Um, I think those are the ones that moved this time um, for a change. So you, my understanding is you got seed funding from Climate 200, but not much else. What, what was Climate 200's involvement in your campaign? I'm going to have a go at that one. Um, so, yes, we did. Um, what actually happened is we were doing our fundraising knowing that we had to go to some some big donors to get going quickly. Um, we had to do some... The branding was actually quite expensive just up front, but needed before we launched. And um, we found that a number of people in our electorate had already given money to Climate 200. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was tough to ask them for more. So... Um, the bottom line was yes, we it was we went to Climate Two Hundred and said, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm actually one of the strongest climate campaigners, uh, you know, people standing for election in in for the forty seventh Parliament. Can we have some of you? Would you consider funding Bradfield? Um, and I, I know that there's possibly some conversations with Voices of Bradfield that might have happened before that, but it was a reasonably quick turnaround. And the way that they work as unit, well for us anyway. We had to present um, receipts. So we already had to spend the money, which we did on branding, and they reimbursed for that. So, um, yeah, that was pretty much the the largest extent of our involvement with Climate 200. There's some sorts of um, conversations uh, around different technologies and things. and But by and large, we did genuinely kind of run a community campaign from the yeah, ground absolutely. up, didn't we, Rob? <laughs> so that is a big difference than the, the big the big six, I guess, um, that their involvement was minimal. Did you have the, that popularis, popularis crowd come in and, and help? Or did you uh, did you run your own digital, your own speech writing, your own media, all that stuff? Uh, yeah, run as a bit of a grand term. Um, we... Uh... We, we, we made our own mistakes, Marco, let, let, let me put it that way, as, as we learnt while we were running. Um, but no, there was no outside strategic advice or um, yeah, in, input like that. We lived and died by our own decisions and mistakes. So, you know, th- this sort of plays into um, one of my issues um, <laughs> post, <laughs> post the election is that, you know, this popularist, these ex-get-up people and Anthony Reid and everything come straight out and said, say, oh, gee, we ran this brand new micro-targeting Facebook, Insta stuff. That's what won the election. I mean, I've got a friend, Denise Chevelle, who's a former media buyer, who said, oh, gee, that's 101. Um and, and you know, so my big thing is, sorry guys, it was the it was the volunteers that did it. It was the grassroots 
movement that did it. So from my perspective, um, you guys are um, are my proof. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just <laughs> I'll, I'll just lay, lay that out there. The other thing that you did that was different, I thought, Nicolette. I think you're the only candidate apart from Kate Cheney and Curtin who was very transparent on your donations and the only one I think who had a a donation limit of say two thousand before disclosure. What what was your process there? Yeah, it was um fifteen hundred dollars. I mean this is part of the whole reason I stood, uh, is to just fix up our democracy and one of those things is that capture the lack of transparency around where the money's coming from and who's you know who's behind the words coming out of the candidate so I really wanted to drop that threshold the AEC has a 14,500 we pegged ours at 1500 that was really just to align with the ATO's tax deductibility figure for any contribution Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that the Centre for Public Integrity and others and, and Democracy Now they they really um, looking at something much lower, around 1,000. Um, but the, the reason behind that, yeah, was um, we just wanted to make sure that people could touch, see, and, and in a very short time build trust between um, what the platform was, me and the can- candidate, and, and where the money's coming from. It, it's a bit of a no-brainer for me. That's what I've been doing in the private sector as well with finance and investment. If we can restore the trust between um, between and within public institutions and the people, I think we're going to have a better democracy. Um, another problem you had from memory is that you were decided to do a Boyce's Bradfield candidate, found their candidate very late. When did you stand again? When did you announce? I'll let Rob respond to that uh, one. When did, okay, so Nick went public uh, at the end of January. Um, yeah. Prior to that, during, so, walking it backwards, so um, Voices of Bradfield advertised, I think, from around August or September. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we all... You had to work hard to get a candidate <laughs> in an unwinnable seat, didn't you, Rob? It was, it was, a, cha- it was a challenge, <laughs> but we always... Yeah, they always, what are you saying? We, because I was part of Voices of Bradfield at the time, we always knew that advertising wasn't going to get the candidate. It was going to be networking. Mm. And and mm. advertising was more a way of saying that we're open and come and talk to us. Uh, and, and several people did. Nick can uh, explain what motivated her uh, later on. But, but uh, she came to the recruitment committee, which was myself and one of the other executives from Voices of Bradfield, um, we liked her. We we kept talking with her. We decided to introduce her to the whole executive of Voices of Bradfield. We had decided prior to that that we would only put a candidate forward or make an offer to support a candidate rather if the committee was unanimous. Um, yes. They were. Uh, we had also... Voices of Bradfield is a community membership-based group. It's not run... I mean, it's run by the executive, but they represent the, the, the membership. So we wanted to put Nick in front of the membership before we went public to say this is who your committee is is recommending because that was important to, and, and I think, and I know it was important to Nick too, as to, to the credibility of being a community person. I'm not just someone who's been selected by this random group of political yep. tragics. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm very pleased to say that the 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 membership supported her or the executive's recommendation unanimously. Uh, so that's what we were doing during 
January, getting her in front of the members. Uh, and at that point, we thought, okay, we can go public. Uh, I remember when we had a chat just before the election, um, Nicolette, and you said one of the big problems was getting that name recognition. So you start very late. You're not in the in crowd, you know, with the, the four, you know, North Shore Allegra players. And so you didn't have all the big... Because you started late, you didn't have all that micro-targeting and that early, early advertising. So I have to admit, I was gobsmacked by the result. And, and to me, I've always loved Voices for Bradfield. It's always done the Indi way. And to me, you did do an, a genuine Indi way. And, and somehow, you got this huge result. C- c- is there a way of explaining how you did this without the the big bucks and the the big boys um, playing the big the big boys games? Yeah, I I probably come back to what Rob was saying before. It it because it was so grounded mm. in great decision making from the community in the first place. There was you know the, the Voices of Bradfield has codified in its articles of association that it's about looking for pre-selecting and supporting a candidate to run um there was no there was less ambiguity possibly than other voices of um um, you did more the melbourne way than the the sydney way where they they have their voices in and they have this independent group separate and some don't endorse you were you were focused so that that's one um reason yeah and well that's right i i think so and the look the, well, could we have done even better had we gone um, earlier quite possibly but it really was as it was and once um, once we had our sort of started up I think from the 30th of January onwards we were we had some swings in terms of the number of voter, uh, voters sorry supporters that came in as volunteers um, and it just really capitulated almost uh, we felt Possibly, had we gone a bit earlier, it would have been more spectacular. But that last week, we mm. had we went from sort of 500 to over 600 volunteers. Mm. So we were really building momentum at that stage, and it was all conversations with people. People, these are uh, in my in our electorate. These are people that often have professional lives and wear suits to to work and what have you. Um, and on the weekend, you know, there's a few pearls around. They were in my super daggy campaign t-shirt on the side of the road waving core flutes proudly that there was an alternative for the first time since 1949 in this electorate so they could vote for something different and I think that's what it all came down to just the fact that I don't know perhaps I was crazy enough to stand up and say okay (laughs) let's let's run in the fourth safest liberal seat in Australia (laughs) Uh, you know and maybe they were just in they had to watch the train wreck I'm not sure but we have we have really tapped into what is an extraordinary, uh, generous consu- uh, um, volunteer bra- base right here in Bradfield. You know, and and there is a lot of volunteerism that happens here anyway. Like there's a lot of people in the in the group who volunteer at Lifeline. Mm. Um, we even had some of friends of the ABC. These kinds of things. They're, they're already engaged. Um, but this is was spectacular. Uh, we, I reckon we've got we've got a party coming up this weekend to celebrate the, and you know without even blinking within two hours we had two hundred people say yep we're coming. When's your party? When's your party? 
pa- parties on Sunday. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going, oh, coming down for Saturday night for the North Sydney Saturday. party. Can I come to yours? <laughs> oh, you are most I would absolutely love welcome. To. Love, to. <laughs> love to. And we're going to don you with one of the campaign T-shirts. <laughs> you're, you're one of the few campaign T-shirts I don't have. Uh, um. The other thing I noticed you did, um, you you had a lot of policy forums. Um, Was that deliberate and did that work for you? Hmm. It it was um, response reactive in the first instance. Uh, We were getting people wanted to know, can you tell me when you say that you want climate action on climate change, what does that look like? And so... We were responsive, and I think to Rob's point, that's one of the key things that gave us credibility quickly, is we were able to be nimble and answer questions, never ever shied away from a difficult question. That was fundamental to the campaign strategy all along, to listen and respond. So part of that was how do we do this in an efficient way, Um, and, and one of those answers was having policy forum. Um, Rob, you got something to offer? Yeah, it was, it was one of those things we had to learn, Margot. We had a lot of volunteers, particularly what we called our, our, our team leaders, the people who would like run a neighbourhood or you know, for, for leaflet droppings or something, who were like, passionately committed on, on policy. And, and they wanted to hear from Nick how, not so much what she thought, but how she thought, what, what her process was mm. for, for, for getting to an answer. And... So we've got that on the one side. And the other side, we've got this advice. And it's very sensible advice from Kathy McGowan saying, you just need to show people that you're listening. Don't go out and give detailed policy. So what we decided to do was do principles rather than detailed policy. It's the first thing. Uh, We also made a virtue out of necessity because we had COVID during some of this. So we couldn't have big town halls. So we used Zoom. Um, so we got tremendous feedback from those. You know, nearly 150, 200 people running on those. We had a great volunteer wow. who helped uh, run them. Uh, and Nick insisted as well that we have a fast turnaround on policy questions that came through the web the website. Um, that nearly killed me. Um, but we did it. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a team in the end of four people helping me just respond. Uh, and, you know, in the last mm. week of the campaign, we had 50 questions a day coming through uh, on everything Gee. from, you know, what's your position on Warragamba Dam to, you know, which is not exactly a federal issue. Um, and then to what do you think about the local gun shop um, and everything in between. Uh, and to Cathy McGowan's point, you respond. You you respond even though because you don't want to say to people that's not a federal issue, bugger off. Uh, you you say okay, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm listening. What what was the extent of Cathy's involvement in in your campaign? Because it was Voices for Bradfield was was it very much I thought the Indi way the the Indi model. Uh, I Rob was involved with Voices of Bradfield before I came along. Um, Cathy has been a how do I want to I want to say fairy godmother in a way <laughs> but she's a um, guardian angel on the campaign so she very generously came early on to meet and energize our volunteer corps which was really great just to hear the war stories of what did and didn't happen and 
you know, some of the volunteers on that night asked me questions, uh, you know, what happens if someone from the other party shirt fronts you mm. and, what, you know, this escalates mm. to a media issue. And I thought I was giving a really good answer and Cathy stands up and pushes me and says, no, Nicolette, that's not what you do. You do this, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You know, so just to have the experience mm. and the wisdom was fantastic. And then, really, she's um, principally just checked in with me as if a mentor. Yeah. So every fortnight I've got a phone call or a text message from Kathy to check in how I'm, how I'm tracking, how I'm going. And so she was always available. Um, and that just, uh, you know, for those standing on the shoulders of women that have gone before, that's all you, that's more than you can hope for. It was she must have been very proud of, proud of you and of, of voices. It was, um, it, it was one of the biggest surprises of the night really, wasn't it? It was, yes, definitely. I'm very, very grateful to, um, to Cathy. She worked very hard. She got herself right around Australia um, uh, to do exactly what she did with me, but with so many of the other candidates as well. Um, and, yeah, she should be very proud too of what has been achieved for our democracy more broadly. So to finish up, um, Rob, what next for Voices for Bradfield and Nick what next for you in Bradfield? So start start with Rob. What what where where does Voices for Bradfield go now? Okay, so one of the things that that I did, Margot, was when Nick accepted as uh, the candidate, I I left Voices of Bradfield and went full time to yes. help her. So I don't officially yes. speak for for Voices of Bradfield, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't honestly know what way they are going to go. I. In discussions I've had with them, I have said to them, in my view, it's a community asset and I would love it to continue. Uh, but that is entirely a decision for, for their executive and I know that they're meeting and talking about it now. Okay. Hmm. And um, and the, the number of times I've been prompted, asked, you know, you're going to run again. Gosh, very safe seats now marginal. You've got to go again. Yeah. You've got to go again. The answer to that question is uh, really that the success of the campaign has the fact that it's come from the community and it's been the energy of the volunteers that have got the result that we have achieved in 2022. So in the same breath, I'd say the outcome of deliberations by the voices of Bradfield, its membership um, and executive over the next few weeks, months, whatever it's going to take, will be a very important input to whether I um, answer that question one way or the other. So... Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what the outcome from their deliberations are. I asked Kate Cheney this just before the election about these, you know, these new candidates, these non-politicians that, in my experience, they either go, right, once was enough, or they, they get addicted. Is there any possibility that, that, that you're addicted to this process of listening and getting to know your electorate and you know as Kathy said to Susie Holt in Groom you know um, you got you got to shake a hundred hands a week so if you want to stand again it sort of starts now in getting to know the electorate even more and this is just my you know my push like you know voices for Bradfield keeps listening in kitchen tables and and you keep behaving as the alternative member and you know that that you know. I, I don't want to push you or anything, but um, uh, I think Paul Fletcher's in deep shit. Um, Rob Mills wrote a piece for us that um, uh, we're, we're publishing today, where 
Paul Fletcher sort of wrote to all the electors and said, oh, I now believe in a strong federal ICAC and I, I now believe in serious action on climate change and I now believe in gender equality. I mean, you, you, you've really, you've won <laughs> in terms of the issues. Then he get, does some weird op-ed where, where he, he says, it's oh, it's all about, you know, innovative campaigning and um, blah, blah. Um, he's... He's in a bit of trouble in, in defining himself and trying to talk Dutton into going for the blue ribbon seats. Like, you got him on the ropes a bit, you two. So, anyway, I, that's just my say. I mean, I, ho- I hope there's, there's more to come in Bradfield. Can you, can you promise me that? I can, I can say that I'm, if, you, if I had to fall into one of those two camps, then yes, I'm addicted. Um, <laughs> I have found an absolute passion with the uh, just being part of this community movement mm. energised mm. me so much. I am I'm literally a, a in love with the area, mm. the people um, that I've met through the campaign. And, you know, I, 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 the only the disappointment of not being elected for me has been that I, am, I really want to run you know, the people that I met who want to do the NDIS differently, locally, bottom up. I want to run that workshop mm. and help those people those stakeholders mm. get their voice in yes. Parliament. So, uh, the things that I'm very passionate on have completely broadened since I've got all these really engaged and interested people in our community that are able to help lift um, the dialogue. I don't have to do this by myself. This mm. is actually a community-led thought. You know, not just not just heads, but hearts as well and hands. And I'm I'm I have swam in this wonderful pool of democracy and uh, participatory democracy yes. and I would absolutely love to continue um, it in some capacity but like I said let's see what happens with Voices of Bradfield um, and yes I think I could be definitely a better member of parliament than our existing one. But yes. Nick um, in a way Voices for Bradfield you could join Voices for Bradfield and, and that whole listening and empowering and, and stuff can is, is there any thought that you might do that? Yes, there is. I feel it's, it's a... I feel like there needs to be um, a line under the 2022 mm-hmm. election. I mean, just the AEC still counting votes as we're recording today. And um, emo- emotionally and practically, the campaign under um, Rob Mills has drawn a line at the 30th of June. Right. And once we have that, that's when the AEC's got its numbers in and everything else, and we will say that was Chapter 1. I think then deep breath and let's have a look what possibly Chapter 2 looks like if, if that's the will of the people. And, Rob, are you burnt out or are you inspired to um, to keep participating and, and keep, uh, what would you say, um, in, enjoying the enjoying the vibe. Um, I'm I'm not burnt out. Uh, I need an excuse to keep the weight off, Margot, that that I lost during the campaign. Um, <laughs> uh, Didn't we all? <laughs> um, uh, I, I guess what, what one thing is, uh, Nick is an inspiring candidate, and it's a pleasure to work with. Yes. Uh, so that that's very important to me. Thanks, Rob. Um, but the issues are not going away. I mean, and uh, don't get me wrong, I am very, very pleased that Mr Morrison is no longer Prime Minister. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm 100% happy with the way the government's going at the moment. The new government's going. I'm certainly more happy than I would have been if the opposite had been the result. Um, but those issues aren't going away. Um, and 
people need to be paying attention to them. And I am pretty sure that the people in this electorate, which is very wealthy and highly, highly educated, and now has the experience... I mean, I think the most common thing that Nick heard on the campaign was, thank God I now have a choice. Um, And I don't think that feeling is going away. And I think people have woken up and going, now I can be engaged. We had a couple of people who said, I used to feel that I couldn't talk about politics, but now I can. And long may that continue. A friend of mine um, said a similar thing. She's been travelling a fair bit, and she said, everywhere I go, people are talking politics now which is so exciting. As you said, Nicolette, you know, there's, there's lots of great ideas on the ground that need a, a pipeline and a, a, a way to, impa- to be empowered. Like, it, I, I feel that it was a revolution at the, at the, at the election. Um, I believe that uh, my image is a snow dome, that everything is shaken up and we just don't know where it's going to fall. And so we, we, we've all got space to make a difference. And, of course, the volunteers have... um, uh, I started publishing volunteer stories and every single one of them so far says, I want more. And I'd love some volunteer stories from um, Bradfield if if people are interested. Um, To me, the volunteers did it. Um, And the vibe and the the excitement and the, the connection of, you know, Labor, Green, Liberal, Nats, voters agreeing to disagree on some things and getting excited about the things they agree on is, is just so, such a breakthrough. Um, it, it just, it, it just feels like there's, there's space to move now. Those labels are coming off and we're yep. looking at the issues that we care about. That's the difference. We're not, we're not wearing a colour that belongs to a particular tribe. We're turning up as citizens in our communities and having real conversations about the issues that matter to us. How do you describe your colour? <laughs> well, mulberry oh, is the light word love for it. it. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> it's very similar to the rebranding the AEC shows oh. after we had selected ours. So if there is another time, Margot, we will be renovating the colour palette. <laughs> I, I would love a mulberry <laughs> T-shirt and I really look forward to meeting both of you at last and and your volunteers and thank you so much for inviting me to your party and thank you so much for coming on today congratulations um bradfield (laughs) thank you margot (laughs) thanks margot fantastic thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this no fibs podcast until next time goodbye I, it, it was um, response reactive in the first instance. Uh, we were getting people wanted to know, can you tell me when you say that you want climate action on climate change, what does that look like? And so we were responsive. And I think to Rob's point, that's one of the key things that gave us credibility quickly is we were able to be nimble and answer questions never ever shied away from a difficult question that was 
fundamental to the campaign strategy all along, to listen and respond. So part of that was how do we do this in an efficient way um, and, and one of those answers was having policy forum. Um, Rob, you've got something to offer on that one? 